Oi, mate. Welcome to Frame Rate, where we rate frames. Good eye. This has become fully the Australian show for a bit now. We've what been doing we... a lot of them. Yeah, yeah, we did Wake and Fright. Well, if you come to our Monday movie nights, we also just watched The Snowtown Murders, a very grim Australian movie. So, uh, yeah, we're here today with yet another nightmarish glimpse into what it's like in Australia. <laughs> I'm Michael Swaim. That's Abe Epperson. We're Hey-o. two pals. We watch movies. And uh, if you patronize us at the Pick the Flick tier, we watch movies that you tell us to watch. And this is one of those. So thanks to James McLeod for picking Dead End Drive-In, 1986's Dead End Drive-In. I was one years old, so I didn't see this before. Abe, you seen this before? I, when I was one years old. You saw it? Yeah, really? <laughs> yeah. You were in and theaters. I was just like, man, Ospolistation films. Yeah. Man, oh man. I know I'm just a baby, but they got a lot of politics in them. I'll say, I'll give them that. Yeah. And Mad Max was not the only one, it turns out. There's more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's more movies like that. There's more where that came from. Um, let's get our guest in here because he's one of the biggest beans around. We know him. Come we on. love him. It's Adam Ganser. Come oh, on here. I'm here. Get oh, in here, crikey, buddy. I'm here. Huddle up. Do you believe that Who's shit? Who's a good boy? That's who's <laughs> is that? Whoa! <laughs> Wait a who's fucking little minute. Condescending. Whoa. I've been wanting to do that for a while now. Just any podcast guest. Who's a good boy? Make Come him a on. dog. I'm a very good boy, but fuck Yay. you, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Abe's been eating my lunch this week, and I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, Abe's been getting I'm me a, hard. I really like. The trick it. is to poison <laughs> your a, lunch. Yeah, I'm kind of kind of a terror right now. <laughs> You're definitely He's being terrible. One. Definitely being terrible. Uh, you know, it's customary for us not to shit on the movie that the pick the flick person selected. Correct. It's, That's right. Even yeah. to the degree that you shouldn't have said that, because that yeah. implies you do want to shit on it. I don't want to shit on it. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just. I'm just leveling I'm just pin- my tone. I'm just I'm leveling it. Yeah. I think the guests can shit. I think we outsource that if they really dislike it, the guests can say what they want. I'm level. Know? I'm leveling it out a bit. I'll, here's one thing that struck me as wild about this movie. It's one of Tarantino's favorite films. Oh, I, I thought yeah, that I was pretty that. wild. That's why we know about it because he okay. was really into this film, and it sort of that's why it got a re-release and stuff because of yeah. Tarantino. Well, I think we should kind of walk people through it because I don't think they're going to know it. Unless they're real Tarantino heads, apparently. But mm. uh, it takes place in the future, futuristic world of 1990, only four years from when it was made. So a very grim prognostication Incredible. about things. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah. yeah. And uh, what's interesting to me about it is I would not call it post-apocalyptic. It's mid-apocalyptic, which I have right. not, I don't think I've seen before. Like, I kept getting surprised because the amb- like people get injured and an ambulance comes. So there's still some superstructure. Like, society is not disintegrated completely. Yeah, I mean, like, there's some films that there's just a shitty society. Yeah. Like Mars and Total Recall. I wouldn't call that current apocalypse, but it's pretty hellish. Yeah. And uh, I don't know what it is about Australia. Never been there. From what I hear, fine people, but they seem to, in their exploitation films of the 70s and 80s, seem to be drawing a kind of uh, get us out of here kind of vibe. Or it's just easy of. to shoot a hellscape in that location. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause it, and almost it, all of their films are kind of like the theme is, well, you can't leave, so you better fucking love it. Yeah, so it. deal with it. Uh, it yeah. all Everything looks like the desert or the city of Vernon. 
California, the like city of Vernon. Yeah, remember Vernon, California? It's, Ver- it's oh, a city with did like, not expect that Vernon would get strays this morning. <laughs> well, the city of Vernon, California, for those of you who are not Los Angelinos, is like a a city that's next to Los Angeles, where like five hundred people live, but fifty thousand people work. It's literally just an industrial wasteland. Uh, yeah. and it's it's a like a kind of a joke everybody in Angel in Los Angeles is in on where it's like that's not really a city. Uh, also, there's probably financial crimes going on over there. There's uh, definitely like a whole uh, season of The Wire yeah. just in Vernon. No <laughs> doubt, uh, no doubt whatsoever. I raise that point because like it looks a lot like this place looks. If you drive through, you're like, yeah, yeah, it looks just like that. Yeah, the protected streets, especially. Mm-hmm. It's wild. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The big scene is our hero jogging through basically just orange mist and yep. giving us a tour of this hellscape. Uh, he boxes with a dog. Yeah. He shares a kiss with some random ladies. Turns out to be his girlfriend, but I do like that he just rolled up on some ladies at the up. gas station and got a kiss. I love how 80s it is to be like our protagonist's main identity is, hey, I'm a fitness guy. Yeah. You know? You're- also, his name is Krabs. Crabsy, yeah, you're zipping right past the, f- the fact that everyone in this world hates that dog. <laughs> like that yeah. dog gets treated it's a real bad. Hatred, because yeah. <laughs> that dog fucking knows knows what he did. You know, <laughs> clearly, clearly, like this was like Just look at the him. end of the third act of that dog's movie starts right at the beginning of this film, right where where like vengeance yeah. came back for him. Also, you're referring kinda... to the dudes who come by with a flaming board and hurl it at the dog for no <laughs> yeah, reason yes. and hassle the dog. Yes, after our protagonist kind of like teases the dog in a way, the dog's yeah. like, "Hey, I can't let that go." I can't let that shit go, right? Uh, That's right. And you're like, what's wrong with that dog? We're blown past the absolute whiplash this movie has because it's like Sydney, 1988, 51 people die. Africa, a year later, uh, the Great White White Massacre, uh, 100,000 die and gold and diamond exports cease. Shortages, unemployment, crime wave, and then funky 80s synth rock. And a dude just jogging, <laughs> just like, yeah. wham! He's of his world. He's of his world, for sure. And his world includes punks who drive around throwing ninja stars at people, which that has to so be, cool. yeah, you immediately, nothing tips off what kind of movie it is, like a ninja star. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. yes, that's correct. That- also, if you have ninja stars and your main goal is like, I will use this ninja star if you don't give me your shoes. That yeah. is a very particular thing about you. <laughs> that is that you have a lot of ninja stars and not yeah. enough shoes. See, also, it seems to me my... that that guy only owned one ninja star. I think he was out after He's that. just recycling That's what really it. Struck me. Yeah. <laughs> And also, this is my boy Brent, and he's fucking sick with the nunchucks. <laughs> yeah, there was a nunchucks dude as yeah, well. Yeah, flailing them about, like, really so, so confident and so undeservedly so. <laughs> like, no, nah, man. No, nah, man. <laughs> but yeah, that, great. that's when it sort of tips off the, to me that it wasn't a full apocalypse, which is a really interesting nah. middling space because it's not Mad Max. Mm. There's some yeah. infrastructure. For example, the punks run off to hassle some cops, and you're like, oh, there's cops in this world. That's weird. Like, who in this universe would decide to be on the side of law and order? Apparently, grifters and people who like shoulder pads. 
Those yeah. are the two groups of people. I Hard felt like men. it was essentially like a prom with a loose chaperone was kind of the level of apocalypse <laughs> we were at here, you know, because it's like yeah. run a world run by tow trucks. Tow trucks run the entire <laughs> world here. <laughs> Am I wrong? It's true. That one the the scene that's kind of amazing in this movie that it kind of stuck with me <laughs> is the scene where it's just like everyone's just scrapping it's very mad max in that way yeah yeah there's roving gangs but it's like the roving gangs are like i'm gonna get you tires i'm gonna get you your wheels and your car doors yeah the you know car and that's boys. like gold the car like boys. a warrior the warrior like gang who just yeah. goes around to the scenes of car accidents trying to strip the cars of parts before the ambulance and police arrive. So the tow truck drivers form this alternate faction where when they get to the scene of a crash and they're going to make money towing the wreckage away, they have to fight the car boys to keep them from dismantling the cars. And then like the yeah. ambulance will show up and they have to give interviews and we find out that Krabs' <laughs> brother... Frank, I think, is one of these dudes. One of these. He's tow truck very drivers. good at it. Yeah, yeah, he's very good. Journalists like his, interview his tow inter- truck drivers. That's who they interview. Tow <laughs> truck drivers on the news to yeah. find the facts about the accident. Well, I yeah. guess that's my question: is when it's the apocalypse, are people at home watching the news, <laughs> caring about car accidents? <laughs> yes. So I guess I, I, can I ask this question in a slightly broader way because I agree with you, Mike. I agree with everything you're implying. I think this movie has what I'm going to call the lobster conundrum. Okay. The lobster Mm. conundrum is, is the premise, do I agree enough with the premise to like the movie? You know what I mean? Or, or is the movie like the premise is so unclear or flaw, like flaw, flawed, uh, that (laughs) I'm going to nitpick it to death. You know what I mean? And I think that's like the lobster is a great movie for this problem where like you get on board with it or you really don't. Yeah, you buy in. Yes. You have to buy in. Yes. Suspend that disbelief enough. Yes. Yeah. I think this movie, in part because we had all the scenes before the drive-in, was problematic enough on a concept level that I never got on board with it entirely. You never got on board. Yeah. It, Interesting. That was my problem with it. See, I didn't get on board for the rules of the world outside the drive-in. But right. once they were in the drive-in, once they're more in the drive-in, I was on board completely. Yeah. I'm, hmm. I'm I'm right there with you. Okay, great. Cuz great cuz we can have a debate about that that will be fun, I think, later on. Mm-hmm. Later on. <laughs> I just want to <laughs> yeah, point yeah. out that Frank's character introduction is he picks up some weights and he pumps twice and then he goes, "Fuck, I'm strong, it, I'm enough. strong enough." <laughs> <laughs> I'm strong enough. Holy shit. Strong his, enough. His bro- For what? His bro- what are you doing? <laughs> to tow and that's cars. That's when we established that Crabsy's big character arc is that he's too small. His mama tells him he's too small and he'll never be big and strong. And he needs to fix it by shoveling spaghetti in his mouth in a way that is impossible. <laughs> like yeah, it's he's carbo loading. Like, holy yeah. shit. He's carbo loading. He is small though. Like if you look to look at he's him. He's lean. Yeah, yeah. He's like 120 soaking wet. Yeah, yeah. You know, like he, he's he's a little cowboy, that's for sure. Yeah. yeah. That's why he's that's why he pivoted to fitness guy. Because mm-hmm. he's like, I'll never be strong guy. That's my brother. <laughs> He's also a foot shorter. It's like no spaghetti is going to fix the foot difference between you, bro. That's not going to happen. Yeah. You know, you need some lift. 
That's Man, I just true. remembered the nunchucks guy has a flintlock pistol. I love <laughs> what an assortment of weaponry. Nunchucks, ninja star, flintlock pistol. Uh, it sounds like a and d campaign character. There's something about the fashionization that's going on in yeah, this absolutely. movie. Like neon lights, but there's a nostalgic aesthetic for the 50s. There's yes. like Cadillacs and like the diner look. Uh, and the music is like 60s, 70s, and 80s. We covet Frank's it's, Chevy. Yeah, the Chevy is a big deal. The Chevy's a big deal. Like Some people are in the Sex Pistols. It gives it, uh, like you mentioned, that Warriors vibe. But it doesn't stop there. It's almost like... I think I think something was wrong with Australia, honestly. Was. Where they were just like imbibing all of American culture and they were like, yes to all of it. Yeah, but 50s... We will take it. The 50s had kind of a comeback culturally in a bunch of stuff in the 80s. Like, like uh, Top Gun is a 50s comeback movie. Back to the Future. Yeah, like the 50s had like a 90s-esque renaissance... And I say 90s because the 90s yeah. are having a renaissance now. Are having a now, yeah. Yeah, yeah. where like, uh, like so I think Australia was just like a touch late to it is all. Because I would say everything here feels like four years out of date. Like four years in the 80s out of date. You know, like it's like early right. glam rock, it's early 50s nostalgia. And that kind of all feels a little late to me. And pl- But plenty of punk, yeah. plenty of Brit yeah, punk totally. influence as well. Yeah, New yeah. York yeah, dolls sure. and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. The Flock of Seagulls haircut on... The secondary antagonists, beautiful. Like if they could have picked, they could have picked anybody to put that haircut on. You know what I mean? Like that was going on somebody. Mm-hmm. The person they picked it on, it was the worst haircut for him, <laughs> and I was thrilled by that decision. Like just <laughs> deeply thrilled by that. Uh, anyway, I, I I could spend all day on the makeup and hair of this movie because it's it is great. Well, Truly which great. they did. It's yeah. high effort for a movie with this budget range. That's it's high thing. effort. It's the thing, and. By the time they get to the drive-in and you're seeing dozens of cars and they've basically outfitted this entire compound to look apocalyptic, it's a, quite a hard movie to make, honestly, yeah. in some regards. Yeah. Absolutely. The amount of space you have to control, like it seems like you couldn't make this for less than $5 million now, I don't think, right? No, just uh, just securing locations of this magnitude, which are just so cool. Like the... That at one point, before they even get to our main location, the drive-in itself, there's a like train yard that includes driving smaller vehicles through train cars. Yeah, for real. So they're ruining. It's a train car graveyard, but they are have the ability to destroy train cars Mm -hmm. and just blast through their like balsa wood doors and such. Like that's which again begs the question: lot. Was this high budget, or d- is Australia just lousy with ruined stuff? Like, I think it's just, just lousy with ruined stuff. stuff. No, so yeah. like they spent seventy five grand on a single stunt on, in, at the end of this film, which is mm-hmm. more money than it ever made at the box office. Just one stunt. So like is this it movie the car lost jumping money through the sign. Uh, it's yeah, it's the, the tr- final the last getting one. out of the yeah. yeah the getting out of the spoilers. Yeah. He gets out of the drive-in. He escapes right. the drive-in. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, that stunt, which I, I read when I was doing research, uh, set a world record for like a truck's leap, a leap of a truck, which I'm surprised. That's that, amazing. Like, I mean, I guess it was 1985 or 86, when, you know, 86. when they made it. You, so You think Gravedigger uh, is beating it by now? Like you think Gravedigger is yeah. definitely beating it by now, right? Hell Yeah. 
No doubt. Grave digger for life. Grave digger you know they're for proud life. of that stunt. That stunt is the poster, and like when you load it up on Amazon, that stunt is the picture in the description. So yeah. that doesn't surprise me. Like it's talked about. I'm, you know, the entire, the entire among, landscape um, among of Australia those, was shook. Among, among those the who Trump jumpers, dead end driving, yeah. right? <laughs> among truck jumping aficionados, it's definitely discussed. Yeah, they were like, heard about that jump there. <laughs> Quite fantastic. For a movie, you say. Um, I want to get very silly and continue talking about Gravedigger, but I'm not going to do that because I want to ask a question that's on point. Yeah, yeah, And that question is, why was he at the train yard? (laughs) Can somebody help me with that? Just, I, yeah, I don't know. Like He was was just cruising in Frank's Chevy, which he was told not to take. He was in a different car for the train yard. He wasn't in the Chevy. He was, but that's like a cultural, like... That's the thing is it's a hodgepodge of fashion, but it's also like throwback to the heart, like what harkens to an older type of film, because like in the fifties and sixties, like even like um, karate kid, I would say does this kind of thing where like in the story, what are you doing as I guess a teenager or in a, a young adult, you're just driving around and stuff. And we're just depicting that right that doesn't happen as much anymore because like i guess no one goes outside uh but that may be just me getting older but it's just interesting that like that's that's what he was doing he was doing just cruising around to the train but it's yard so weird that it's in the hang. face of the apocalypse right because that's the other thing is it's kind of a friendly apocalypse meaning mm-hmm. it's not dudes are out here trying to kill you but everyone acts like their life is normal. Everyone just does the normal things that they were going to do anyway and kind of act bewildered and surprised when apocalyptic shit happens. That's right. what's make it gives it a very unique tone because for example, why is he jogging out through the hell's like isn't he scared of getting rolled by these gangs and indeed gangs do come Ninja and roll stars. him. Yeah. But he stays optimistic. He's like, I'm nothing's going to stop me from jogging and boxing this dog. I got to take my life. I got to take it. I got to murder the dog. I got to take my girl to the drive-in. These are the things that matter to me. It's funny because he's already got a pretty courageous heart to start the movie. Exactly. You know, with that hair. I mean, okay. So like, I'm not going to do this the whole time, but I'm going to ask this question now because it matters. What? How do people make money stripping car parts in this world? I don't know. Who's buying the new car parts? parts? Yeah. Is there no system? Maybe for there's no building? factory anymore. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of thing that they were talking about. They're like, uh, Wall Street crashes, world economy is fucked. So I guess it's just what's there. But like, all these cars are going to die. Right. Anyway. It's weird. Uh, it's, it, it's not as consistent as Waterworld, where like, you know why people right. are stripping things for parts? Because you go mm-hmm. to the place where they sell them and stuff. It's like, okay, I get it. Yeah, there's it, only. You know? That is one thing I find super interesting about this type of apocalypse and there was a what was that justin timberlake uh crimey river sci-fi in time like on time was it called in time i might be in time you're but like you're on a ledge the idea of a like a mid-apocalypse that is or a depiction of a society and it's almost always huxleyan or the other one um orwellian And um, the idea of restricting not just thought or, you know, a lot of these apocalypses have that, but mobility specifically, like you're only allowed to go in this section. I know there's a lot of like sci-fi about like, oh, yeah, you're just on the road. You're in a car. 
and you can try you travel yeah. like eight feet o- over the span of a year and you're trying to get to the next lane or something like that that's something we were really focused on and mad max carries that through as well well i think it speaks to what is exciting about a zombie apocalypse or any kind of apocalypse is that all the rules of society would break down right so even as we're scared of the apocalypse there's a thrill in thinking of how free you would be you would just be free. Right. And what's freer than mobility? Like the ability to go fast and get out of here. Get out of here. It's such the a big instance, part of the apocalypse. Like once you're in your tiny little zoo cage, you can just do wheelies. Yeah. And, have and you a great can trick time. your car out and so make it a little movable fortress, which many of the people in this movie do. Yeah. That uh, that you're you're walking right into the next question I have. Yeah, that's interesting. Restriction as freedom, which is why there's so many tow trucks because tow trucks are beefy. That's a good kind of car to be driving around. Right, and they're literally like the you know they they allow passage of the thing that you're driving too. Like their purpose is to move the car. If they didn't have if they didn't have news broadcasts, I think I would go all the way with you on this. That's the weirdest one of yeah. all that make, I cannot wrap my head around is who the fuck is sitting at home watching a news broadcast that there was a car accident when there's dudes with ninja stars and flaming boards and shit. Yeah. Who cares that there was a car accident? So, and again, I'm, I, this is a question that occurred to me about 15 minutes into this movie, maybe 20 minutes. It was like, why would anyone ever want to leave this drive-in? <laughs> For, it's kind of sweet. What is out in the world that he needs to get back to? Well, he yeah, just can't be question. incarcerated, man. He chafes at the idea of being told where That's to be. Right. I understand that, and I, mean, it's I understand the punk ethos. Yeah, 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 and right. But like, if you're gonna do a political satire, I think you got to do a little better than that. You know what I mean? Like, I think you got to do a little bit like a. The dystopia needs to <laughs> ring a little tr- more true for us to be like, yeah, good point. <laughs> not not in Australia, dude. They just yeah. need a little bit to teeter <laughs> them over like, the edge. Put a wall up. <laughs> they're, already, they're mad. <laughs> they're, in terms of apocalypse, they're already at 87. Right. They just need like cool like 12, <laughs> 12 to 15 points and they're fucking there. A couple man. of sections of fence and there's fury everywhere. Yeah. I, well, yeah. I, so just so people know what we're talking about, we then get the thrust of the movie, which is he takes his girlfriend to the star drive-in to watch a movie mm-hmm. and- well, that night, while they're making out and boning in the back seat of the car, frankly, if I can be frank with that, you. Thank you. Thank you for your if frankness. If I can be candid with you. <laughs> thank you um, for it. <laughs> Pardon my friend. Ladies, <laughs> clutch your pearls. Well, they do that great shot of every single car in a row just rocking back and forth. Just rock. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she also shows off what I believe, and I only mentioned it because it's insane. Carmen. Like gold yeah. nipples? Yeah. She, yeah. She, she's like, like them? Uh, and it was like, yeah. I guess, like, like <laughs> it was one of those. Your nipples like, are gold. Yeah, I guess I like that, that. Is that new? <laughs> Like, is that a change? It was unclear to me. I also love that her her name is Carmen, and yeah. that's especially funny to yeah. me, just because it's like everything we love about this movie is cars. Yeah, cars. A bunch of car Cowboy. stuff. Carboy is one of All my right. favorite bad guy names. The Carboys. The Cowboys. Yeah, so the, the Cowboys, <laughs> uh, presumably the Carboys, but we don't actually know exactly who, steal their wheels in the middle of the night. No, it's the police. And then- the police do. Oh, the police. I mean, yeah. It's the police. But okay. we don't see the action. That's true. Yeah. He just pieces it together. Later, he finds out it's the cops. But uh, So I guess that's why you would be a cop in the apocalypse, because it's an easy wheels. time to be a corrupt cop. Yeah, free wheels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Anyway, it turns out that that's that. You can't leave. You can't fucking leave. <laughs> you can't leave the drive-in. You now live at the drive-in. It's, that's the main premise of this film, which is amazing. And that's like a Catch Twenty Two era, like because that was like the it 70s, is Orwellian. Right? Yeah, that the whole setup is that it's it's no yeah. When you piece it all together, yes, it me- just means you can't move. But like every little bit that takes you to like get there in the order of operations, nothing is insane. It's like no, you can't get on that you can't get on that piece of road because it's very very dangerous and you have to have like a chaper like a police chaperone or you go during these times you know like they cut out little holes of things that like kind of make sense so you go mad with like the bureaucracy of it that's a very very like uh i I would argue probably like a libertarian ethos like very carpenter as well you know what i mean yeah Yeah, bureaucracy all the the bureaucracy in this case is embodied entirely by one man named Thompson, who is the manager of the drive-in, <laughs> yeah. and basically gives you a 1984-esque runaround. Like, you can't do this without this form. It's illegal to go there. You can't have this wheel because this is not in the system or whatever. Right. And uh, he represents pre-apocalypse, I guess. He reminisces about before things were apocalyptic, and he seems totally unfazed by whatever happens. Uh, so by the morning, by the time the morning comes, we realize that this drive-in during the day is just like an open-air prison with that's mostly depopulated with a population of people who aren't able to leave. And we find out people who want to be there because, as I think Adam said, there's worse places to be than inside the drive-in. You get free movies. Like there's a diner. Ev- everywhere else is worse than this drive-in. Right. Honestly, like that, that was my big problem is like, and I know this movie has to walk sort of a tenuous balance. I'm not being a dick here. Like, like it needs to, you need to feel the sense like about you're trapped. But I think the problem is there, that real life is so much objectively worse. You know, like you have to work yeah. for money. Uh, you're like every step you take, you could die at the, at the hand of a nunchuck apparently. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. here everybody kind of gets along other than being racist. You get meal tickets. Yeah. You know, yeah, that shit's wild. Uh, yeah, it's it's like a legitimate communist society that financially seems difficult to understand. Um, what's the downside? They they sleep as well as they sleep in the real world, you know. Yeah, and uh, so obviously our protagonist is very like, no, I'm not going to let this stand. I got to get out. It's my main deal. I got to go. Well, Andy's worried um, his brother Frank will get upset because he took, took his, his chevy. chevy yeah yeah but i love the addition of the character well with care the uh, character detail for carmen who's completely uninterested the whole movie in solving the main plot's central problem she does not care about she getting doesn't back to her old no life. yeah she doesn't care if they stay there which is and a I very find, unique i find <laughs> that actually refreshing just a character who's like yeah sh- yeah this is the reality i guess man in the face of all the logan ru- logan's runs and uh running mans in the islands you know she like gets her hair done by the other women at the garage and she's yeah, like i guess i'm one of these now seems, seems happy with her hair she seemed happy yeah. like look what they did which for me which is a bunch bad. of industrial springs woven into her it's hair like, no i don't think so yeah a character who's just like down with anything the only problem is that it's just too bad when she meets a racist cult. i couldn't figure out why our lead character was not madly in love with this woman like she she right. she was what else do you want 
she was really kind and like you know really liked him really in pretty chill like, about everything like you know asked very little of him was supportive of his that's just not him man he's man. about fitness and kale and like she's into burgers and fries he's blowing and... it real hard he is blowing it real hard <laughs> yeah carmen's a catch yeah, man she is uh, i don't love that she has the like mental fortitude to be convinced by random racist cults agreed but you know other than that uh, she's great. The racist. I don't know I if do, she's convinced or she was always that way. That's sort of what the movie goes thinks. along that's with it so thing. quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I and think in that's fact, else, yeah. do we even know if Jimmy Crabsy? I love mm-hmm. his name is Crabsy because he thought he had crabs once, but he didn't. Uh, <laughs> it's a great origin. Cool, cool yeah, story. Just to be good, honest. It's believable. Cool story. Bro. That's believable though because nicknames are dumb. But nicknames he, are dumb like that. That's he right. doesn't want that nickname then. Right? He should have his own nickname, like call me Dragon or whatever. Dude, I had one of those in my life. But not Crabsy. There was a kid we called Spackles, and it was not a good story, and I'm not going to tell that story. But he went by Spackles. He's just like, yeah. He owned it. And then teachers started calling him Spackles. The motherfucker's name was Robert. (laughs) That's wonderful. But honestly, that's because there's a tide of fate he couldn't avoid. This man brought his own doom to the party. You know what I mean? Well, Spackles would introduce himself as Spackles sometimes. Oh, well, so. That's called learned helplessness. <laughs> that is, yeah, that, that means we bullied Bring that kid. man to a drive-in. See how he reacts to it. A school bullied a child. <laughs> well, Crabsy, uh I'm sorry, mm-hmm. Mike, I derailed your point. Please, I, please oh, continue. Well, I, I was just going to compare it to being trapped at Burning Man, which recently happened when people were trapped at Burning Man. And I wanted to know the deal of the guy dressed like a banana. There's one guy who's dressed like a banana oh, yeah. in the background many times, just walking around. Um, that That's actually the equivalent of the costume for the Grandmaster Dragon of the KKK <laughs> oh, boy. in Australia. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a big banana. He's king racist, if that makes any sense. The other thing that reminded me of more than anything is the Akewood thing, the great outdoor fight. Which is oh, yeah, yeah. a webcomic. Oh, about, so delightful. Everyone go buy that. Read that online. Yeah, read The Great Outdoor Fight, which is basically this, but without a post-apocalyptic bent. It's just <laughs> you're locked in a big area and everyone's fighting. <laughs> everyone's fighting for till some someone reason. Wins. Yeah, till someone wins. <laughs> yeah. Can I ask, for the joy of fighting, I, which is joy, what yeah. reminded me of it because these people g- seem to take genuine joy in their lifestyle, Jimmy is the only one who wants to le- who desperately wants to leave. Right. Everyone else thinks this is pretty cool. We like it here. Right. It kind of feels like a slam dunk of a solution. It, yeah. Just like let that guy go. Everyone's happy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it, this is a movie without a real conflict. You know, what I mean? where it's like let him out, yeah. and then your po- right. your 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 carboy trap will continue unhindered. I think the only assumption is that the cops are, you know, an arrogant force that is not going to, you know, presumably bow down to any one specific uh, desire of one man because we lack the freedom because it's, you know, well, and it's the manager, uh, right? Like the literal reason he can't leave is because Thompson won't let him. Correct. Otherwise, every no one else would give a shit. Right. Exactly. Thompson's very short sighted as the owner of a corrupt drive in prison camp. And I like how everyone kind of deals with them. Like they are kind of, there is this tone as it was true in Wake and Fright, which we covered a few, you know, like a month or two ago. And um, like it has this tone where it's like, 
you 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 gotta love it and what's your what's your problem dude for wanting to change things you you have an interest outside of just drinking beer and hanging out yeah Fuck that's you. weird yeah which i think exists in all cultures and all societies somewhat right it's the idea of the 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 bogan or in america the boogan you know like it's that vibe but like that's I, I don't know. I find that kind of interesting that they choose to focus solely on that almost in their lore of their apocalypse. It's what's true to Australia, which, you know, I guess it's just copium, just dealing with the idea of like it sucks here. I mean, Australia Largely. can't suck that hard. Does no. it suck that I mean, hard? looking at it, it seems pretty great. This doesn't, I mean, like, right? That looks it's pretty yeah. sweet. Yeah. It's a part. It's a party, mate. Yeah. I mean, even just a night with the cowboys would be a pretty fun night, you know. Uh, yeah. There is it is covered in barbed wire that's electrified, so there is something keeping them in physically. Yeah, they that's but, the thing that seems to send Crabsy over the edge of outrage. Like they they've electrified right. the fence, mate. You know, it's like um, mm, that seemed like too like much. that's the bridge too yeah, far. Yeah, yeah. Not not the toll roads. Yeah, he, uh, that are enforced. <laughs> they kept telling him verbatim, "Listen, man, you can't leave ever." And he kept being like, "We'll see about yeah. that." Until finally, the electric fence. He's like, "Wait a minute, they trapped me here." It's like, yeah, bro, they've been telling you that and for with, thirty minutes. It's amazing. And with the exception of the main like three assholes, uh, you know, the guy that's like, yes, "Which car?" There, there yeah. are antagonists. He does run afoul of some guys that we don't like. One has Everyone, a swastika, so that's you're right. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like that guy. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guy, guy's got a bolo tie that has a swastika on it, and it's just casual. We're just like, oh, these are just some like chill guys, and then the fun stuff's when we see that guy. <laughs> yeah, Haza. Yeah, uh, yeah I have logistics questions, swastika. but I can save them if you're not ready for them. Well, I was just about to launch into one, which is that I love how everything is actually not damaged that much. Right. By which I mean, <laughs> right. the diner has a neon sign pretty good that shape. says the name of the diner. Yeah. How the hell has that not been destroyed? Right. How it's still Incredible. working. Right. And so like all of the destruction and chaos, these punks care about their environment and they love the yeah. drive-in. They treat the home. drive-in with respect. It's their home. They're pretty creative That's, punks, actually. You know, like even yeah. when they tag something, it's like, well, that made it a little bit more unique and artsy and fits in here better. Yes, right. they're artsy punks. They're not just destructoid punks. Yeah, but that's the that's the kind of destructive ethos that's going on with our protagonists in these films. Is it's that like yeah, it sucks here, so you better love it. That's that mantra we keep finding in these movies. But it's exactly what you're saying, right? You gotta love the place you live. Otherwise, what the fuck are you doing here? You should get out of here because like. Otherwise, why are you just shitting on our parade? You know, right? Yeah. It seems that's pointless. kind of true to life. Yeah, we're playing cricket with pieces of trash. You know, don't let us rain do on our, our parade. That, yeah, that's kind of what the the appeal of this thing. Uh, now it does kind of allow things to run rampant, like racism, and that's I think what the you know film's trying to say at a larger point. But that. They're not wrong about that. They're not wrong to be like, hey, man, why are you being a dick? <laughs> you know, just allow us to have our cool time and our neon signs and our TV and small like, oh, my God, the small structures that they built out of cars. Oh, that are extensions of the cars. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like that was such great. cool production. Absolutely. Design. I actually think the this is why the racism for me didn't fit into this movie uh, is because I feel like the only reason you would bus in a bunch of uh, like racist problems 
you know what I mean, into this movie is if the place was so un, like hard to be around that you needed to drum up conflict to deflect from that problem, right? Yeah, that is like, but I think it's just a bureaucratic kind of, once again, all these loopholes. It's not done with any intention. It's just like, I don't know, send him here. I don't think that's what the filmmaker thinks. I think the filmmaker thinks he's making a comment on like how racism is a distraction that's being used to keep us from looking at the, you know, dire nature of our circumstances. A comment that I don't even necessarily disagree with entirely as a philosophical point of view, but I didn't agree with it in this movie. Because it was so, like, yeah, just yeah. to be clear, because I just keep assuming no one's seen this except McLeod. Yeah, sorry. Uh, the police bus in a bunch of Asian refugees, and this immediately makes almost everyone, including Carmen, as we've alluded to, uh, start chanting racist slogans and having hate meetings to talk about how they need to limit how many can come in here. It's wild. And my question is. Is it still a functioning drive-in? At night, do people show up and pay for tickets to watch movies? Dude, I had it. Right. <laughs> Thank you. They have got the, we got the refugee corner over Thank here. Thank you so and much. And also enjoy the thing. So Kurt that Russell. brings me to one of my questions I wrote down. Thank you, Mike. Mine is, what if your job was to make the movies for this place? Do you take that job? Are you excited about that? Because they show movies. Yeah. Multiple times we see them project yeah. movies. Yeah. Yeah. It's still a functioning drive-in. So do you mean like what? who's the projectionist? No. I mean, what if your job That's is out Thompson, in the carboy world where things are a hellscape? Oh, you have to make these films. Exists. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, they, it does. It clearly does. Yeah. Uh, another conspicuously absent thing from this place uh, that I think <laughs> uh, is problematic is what are they doing with all the babies? There are there are 100% Ooh, babies grim. all over the place. I didn't even think of that. Well, there have yeah, to be. That's upsetting. What are they doing with them? I like to think that the post-apocalyptic radiation rendered them all sterile because the alternative is too fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that's... <laughs> They're using babies as car parts. They have to be. There's like That's the only <laughs> way the economy here makes any sense. Right? Yeah. It's, it's Snowpiercer, but you need to keep the driving going. So you need some orphans. Yeah. Yeah. That's the that's why it's a satire, the missing babies. So Jimmy's car slowly gets hollowed out. More and more stuff is stolen until he has no engine. He finally gives up on the idea of returning Frank's car to him unharmed, <laughs> right? and all he wants to do is escape. <laughs> he siphons gas from the cop car, right? Yeah. Yeah. While they're doing a drug deal, Thompson and the cops are doing drug deals, to, which that's the thing. Oh, yeah, with, they're uh, bringing in drugs. This, the drive-in right. is that you can get access to drugs a lot easier than outside of the walls so it's kind of designed for druggies and you know misfits well again it's Bogans, it's like trying know. to keep a population unaware right that's the satire of it that's i mean that's the satire you know? of it but like that's that's the distraction while he siphons the gas is right all. yeah i like when he attacks the convoy while a fight film plays behind him yeah Mm-hmm. Like in the foreground, he's fighting his way across the screen, and in the background, there's guys fighting. Pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty cool. Little cool. I maneuvers. think there's some really yeah. great filmmaking in this. Like there's it's really, really cool and fun. I love this outside studio kind of international cinema for this very reason. Like they're just trying weird shit. Why? Because no one's saying to not do that. Mm-hmm. You know, no one's saying don't just put like rig a camera to basically uh to a chicken so you can get the shot of where a car drives over the chicken and the chicken's unharmed yeah i wondered about that shot's really cool because we were just talking about in snowtown there's a shot of um 
snake eating a mouse. And then in the other one we watched, Wake and Fright, they kill a bunch of kangaroos, and it's real footage of dudes shooting and slitting the throats of kangaroos. Oh, no. Very upsetting. Oh, no. Uh, how getting that shot of the car driving across the chicken, I've, I feel like only in Australia, or at least not in America. Yeah, no, you can't like do that. I think they, live. I think the rules f- about that in America changed in like the early '80s after Apocalypse Now. Because Apocalypse Now, they well, actually Apocalypse Now a has cow. like a cow getting cut in half, right? Yeah, and I think yeah. that I, if I'm not mistaken, because I didn't research this, I think that prompted some changes in the like that there needed to be an infrastructure to protect animals but that's not a worldwide phenomenon so like it's possible it hadn't gotten all the way over to australia yet you know gotcha i'm guessing though i don't know for sure but i too noted that shot as a notable shot (laughs) it was a cool shot yeah Yeah. (laughs) real cool shot i was glad the chicken seems to be okay uh i don't really actually give a (laughs) shit about chickens you know i'll i'll I won't run personally a kill a chicken, but I'm not going to run over a chicken. chicken. I wouldn't run. No, I wouldn't. Over I wouldn't do anything un- to a prompted. chicken. Uh, so there was a rooster that used to just come marching into a, uh, my house when we would film escort mission. Do you remember this, Mike? Yes. There was just some. There was just some feral rooster, rooster that nobody mm. claimed <laughs> that just strutted all around, and he really did bring us to the limit of like, what am I willing to do to a chicken? Like and the answer was Hold nothing. For sound, yeah. <laughs> yeah there was a, the answer was nothing. We let him do it. The chicken wins. Respectful to the rooster. He yeah. would like, yeah. He would show up, literally walk in the house when the door was open, kind of look around, be like, "All right." You just bullied take off. by this rooster, dude. Yeah. He was bullying our shoots. That was really yeah, happening. He knew it. He knew what was going on. He's like, "Yeah, yeah fuck these guys' sounds." <laughs> I feel like we haven't talked enough about the cadre of goons that goes against him. Yeah, yeah. And end up yeah. leading the racist cult. Uh yeah. the one that I really want to talk about who we haven't mentioned is Haza, who is a tall, lanky man who just screams like a wolf. Yeah, Ooh. that guy. That guy. Ends yeah. up fighting is that him with the a witch car hat. guy? Yeah, yeah. He's got little devil horns at one point. Yes. And he gets beaten with a brick, which felt good. That felt good. I wanted to see him die. Yeah. Like he he was a guy Obnoxious. he was he was he like mildly famous before this movie? Gosh, like, I don't know. Because he's positioned that way. Not to me. He well, he's a saxophonist. I'm looking him up right now. He's a saxophonist, television personality, oh, and radio presenter. I'm wondering if he's kind of like a John Lurie type guy. Or like a Tom no, Waits type guy. Like yeah, it's fun yeah, yeah. it's fun that he's in the movie kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, you know? maybe. I mean, like, if you're big into the saxophone, because otherwise, I like he blew my mind. Like, I, I was like, how could this guy be in this movie? He doing seems like this? a non-actor, so that, yeah, and that makes sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know, I know what you're picking up. I'm just wondering, you know. Uh, and then yeah. was it the very prim and proper chubby bolo tie guy that had the swastika? No, he's I got. It was there's this a, guy. a silent swastika man. Yeah, he doesn't uh, have any. He's lines. just there, but their leader is like. Surprisingly well put together. He looks nice. Yeah. Except for the haircut. He's dapper. Uh, as except we for his yeah, little fake Wolverine haircut. Yeah. Wave. Yeah, his haircut. flock of seagulls haircut. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. he leads the racist tirades for the most part. He does. And puts the meetings yeah. together. He's and the in, charismatic one. And maybe the most likable thing that Krabsy does is defend an Asian man in the bathroom when they're hassling him. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good thing, obviously, and yet I kind of didn't believe Krabsy would do it. Really? No, I thought Krabsy was pretty consistent. 
Well, I see. I just he makes an appeal to Carmen. He's like, "Why would you fucking do that?" What, right, what right, the right. Fuck are I'm you not thinking? saying like, that's very logical. I'm, I'm with you. I'm not saying that the movie didn't say that he was against racism. It definitely does say that. What I'm saying is, it doesn't feel like this guy would be so distinct on those views from the rest of this that crowd when everyone yeah. else, like without any question, is racist. You know what I mean? So it's this weird, like, why is this guy like you know twenty years ahead or whatever? culturally from the rest mm. of it like you i know guess what I mean? that just that kind of depends Good on hot. if your interpretation of the movie is like it's is it just a guy trying to get out or is a guy trying to make a stand against uh you know like is it a guy trying to cling be? true to his morals in the midst of a difficult situation right. or is he just want to get out yeah because it does make that appeal a few times he's like we should be better and stuff like that so if you buy it you buy it you don't you don't yeah i mean i'm not trying to like it's obviously you need it in the movie because the movie falls apart if you don't have somebody who's like, uh, racism something wrong. to focus on. Yeah. Duh. Yeah. Uh, uh, uh how about a big that? statement here. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. But like, I, it's one of those things where it's like, as a satire, I start to be like, why is this guy the omniscient figure? Other, it's like, just is the it, guy that's there, baby. Yeah, Cause somebody has gotta be right. Fair enough. It's Fair gotta enough. be the fitness man. Well, I thought uh, it was Quite a because what makes it confused and is also kind of a bold move is that Carmen goes along with it without right. hesitating. Right. So like if Carmen had fought the racism, I would think, okay, the racist people are the exception to the norm and the norm is is, you know, whatever, is non racism or latent racism versus explicit right. racism. But the fact that Carmen immediately is like, I don't care. I want to stay here and chant the horrible things about Asians, uh, when they seemed like such a tight knit, I really thought saving her was going to be part of his journey. Like 100%. I thought he had to save her. Yeah, yeah. But 100%. they, without even discussing it that much, just split up and she stays. Yeah, and she's just like, I want to be here for other reasons, but the racism doesn't bother me. And it's yeah. like, uh, all of it. I don't. This is want it's all it. bothers me. <laughs> yeah, yeah all this, I don't like any of it. Yep, Fuck this a, driving. Yeah. Yeah, which you're absolutely right to point out, and we do that a lot within these types of movies, where it does feel kind of defeatist when you're like, oh, so you're trying to make it, in all this political commentary, you're trying to make the statement that also, like, we're not that far from here. Uh, and it's just, if commonplace is that racism, that kind of open racism, that's a bleak view of Australia, but... You know, as far as we know, and or humanity, you know, the 1986, yeah, they could true. be talking about all humanity. I kind right. of, I kind of appreciated, like this is one of those times where I'm like, yeah, the movie audience in the 80s is not is a very different audience than now, so you kind of do need to go really hard at this point to make it effectively. You know what I mean? Like, like you, it's you do need be characters, right? It's right. It's a loud, brash movie. Number one, number two. It mm -hmm. wants to be a satire, which is kind of a bold ambition for a movie like this, let's be honest. So, like, the pivot has to be pretty hard and feel like, whoa. So, it feels, like, cacophonous to me now, but I think it might have worked if you were, you know, one of the 20 people who it saw it in the theater. It feels like a surprising turn. It feels like suddenly the movie got real. Yeah. When you really thought the stakes would only be him escaping and fighting off gang members. Now Correct. suddenly we're talking about Nazis. You know who it worked on is uh, Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, so. I mean, right. Exactly. Well, right. I actually I think, think he just enjoys this era of throwback and style, you know? This is like the movie when you realize, yes, I Australian agree with that. Wave. Completely. I, it's completely that he likes the throwback aspect of it. I feel like this is the moment where you realize the movie is a satire. 
Like you don't actually totally right. get that before this. Uh, and it's like, oh, okay. So I guess this is all a big metaphor, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the satires that takes itself a little seriously. So it's kind of, yeah, it, the tone isn't there where, where it's like, a, look how stupid that is. Maybe there's in jokes of like stuff that we missed because we're not a part of 1986 culture, especially Australian. Um, but it does it does seem to be like not nodding to the satire as much as a lot of stories do. A little bit, like though. Even, like even they, like Total Recall. They talk about how Thompson has a computer file and the computer file links to all the other star drive-ins and that the right. police are intentionally keeping people there. But we don't. We don't it's, know why. These are tiny little hints. We don't know why. And we just know that he wants himself wiped from the computer file. So there is sort of a 1984-esque thing going on. It's just very diffuse and it's hinted at. Yeah. Well, and obviously, really developed. yeah, building out the world for this absurd premise is probably the wrong move. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, like if we need to get onto all the lore of why the drive-ins and blah, blah, blah. Right. We all don't have a fun Thompson movie. Thompson has a computer and he's doing something bad with it. Right. Uh, would it be surprise? Would it be surprising to you guys to hear that uh, the uh, director of this film, Brian Trenchard Smith, uh, was working on a different film all the way up to like a few weeks before this filmed, and then their director dropped out. Dead End Driving's director dropped out, and he took over. <laughs> so That's he only weird. had a few weeks of to prepare so all these questions that we're talking about are we're probably stuff where it was just like yeah 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 yeah. the, the writer wanted to do i this, just gotta get this that. movie done yeah, yeah yeah that all makes sense so like s some of these uh attempts may be truncated you know right i mean right what if he didn't even like the casting you know what i mean like how do you even fix that three weeks out from how production do you even right fix that? yeah i thought yeah. it was well cast though uh, yeah, I, I thought they did a good job. I thought the direction was especially good for knowing that fact, you know? I oh, agree yeah. With if it. you are a fan of Mad Max, I think you should watch this. I do think yeah. it's like Quentin doesn't have terrible taste. This is notable for its, its style points. At least just to go, oh, wow, they made a film like this. That's yeah. pretty kind of awesome. It's still fun, too. Like, despite all the like all the nitpicking I'm doing, like I was not bored watching it. Or no. frustrated yeah. with it. Yeah, so, you know, it still works in that regard. It's also a breezy 88 minutes. Yeah. You know? It, yeah, and if, you know, yeah. I kind of wish that his brother had shown up one more time. You know, could he use I a was, little bit more I was waiting brother. for that to happen, too, or for him to get the broken yeah. Chevy home and for the brother to go, what? You, what look the what fuck? you did to the car. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Or That's at least see the mom car. again. We never see the mom again, either. I wanted her. Yeah, <laughs> I wanted but, her. <laughs> like, like all '80s movies, it ends with just a triumphant freeze frame at the moment of resolution, which is it's just open road, baby. Yeah. <laughs> like he's just like, yeah, I'm on the road that life. I'm not supposed to be on. That's because I uh, suspect that ten seconds later, it's like The Graduate. We just watch his face be like, why did I leave that place? What yeah. did I do? I what did I do? Now I have no car and no girlfriend. What yeah. am I going to do now? But he's driving away to freedom. I also want just like one more. Like if it's the society is as oppressive as it really is touting. What if the ending was just another police car comes by and is just like, you can't be on this road. We got to take you back. Because they did uh, say it was know, illegal. Uh, that driving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They said it's illegal to leave on that road. Well, Thompson did. And then that's kind of satirical. I think there is a statement being made about the cops 
Yeah, totally. Which is a pretty basic statement, but they're all pigs, basically. <laughs> they're liars. Well, yeah, because yeah. he goes to do the thing that, like, honestly, if you wanted to escape this situation at any time, just go hassle Thompson. He's like a middle-aged man <laughs> with no, he's not frightened. Right. So no. finally, just stab him a yeah, little. finally, Jimmy goes and pulls a gun on Thompson, which is like, there, you, that's right. That's how you escape <laughs> this right. situation. You could, you your helper but then a cop comes in and he the cop is such a fuck up that thompson and the cop end up shooting each other so our guy stays morally clean and jumps his car through the drive-in sign and he's on his way to freedom but i do think there's yeah like we say it hints at a world of satire through thompson and through the cops but it doesn't feel like it has to belabor it it goes like you know what i mean cops are pigs you know (laughs) yeah well, that's interesting. They're up to no good, and there's bureaucrats that are also up to no good, and they're all chummy, and they, and they have their computers, all the their shit in the computer. They're the ones to blame for all the shit. Not yeah. the it's it's not you know this it's not racism. It's uh, greed. You see, which is right. Know, yeah, that's a pretty basic good message. But it's uh, yeah for the time it's it was pretty far ahead of it. Right, like I would like I would be annoyed with this film if it came out tomorrow. Be like, come on, yeah. you know what I mean? But but uh, it's, but for yeah. 1986, you know, it's like, hey, they're making some interesting points here, you know? Yeah, it's almost 50 years old, right? You know? Yeah, like yeah, and like Warriors wow. and like Mad years. Max, it's just a fun world. It's just fun. It's zany that, in a unique way that you don't usually get. I think the, I mean, the allure of this film, right? When we look back and say, why is this film uh, remembered? Why is Quentin Tarantino such a big fan and got it to be seen by a bunch of, you know, why is it on this podcast? Yeah. Um, It comes down to that warrior's vibe. The idea of when we have an apocalypse or we have like a story where there's gangs involved. It's going to be fun. from New York. (laughs) It's fun because they like they build their own form of systems where it's like we are the blank guys and we look like this, you know, like and there's something we love about the idea of I think it's the same reason we love Pokemon. We just love collecting things that are like a set. And it's like, Oh, look at that thing. Look at that fucking thing. That guy with the Ninja star or look at that guy. He's got his hair and they all rollerblade. That's funny. Yeah. And, uh, and that's what is like the bread and butter of the warriors. It's funny that this one goes like starts to do that. And you're like, Oh yeah, sweet. Okay. So this is their vibe. This is their vibe. And then they immediately hard turn to like, and then also, what if they were racist? And, and they that all is are. A huge right. difference is. from it's, any of these other films we're mentioning. Racism is the one thing that brings all the disparate factions together. They all agree that they Asians agree. get out. Yeah, right. And that's. But that, I think that's that why that's I had like, such a problem with it. Like, or, or like, I think, yeah, where I that's where I was like, like where eh. did that come from? Well, not yeah. like I understood it. I understood what he was trying to do. I just was like, I don't think this world has earned this. That's that's that was my objective. You just want it to be, you know, Super Mario Brothers, the movie. Yes, uh, thank you for that bad faith summary of my position. I completely agree with that. But yes, in the sense that I really did just think it would be, will he escape? Won't he escape? And that's the whole movie, which you could easily do. So bringing in the satirical elements halfway is an interesting. It's extremely silly. It's an extremely yeah. silly. And so I I bet you, and I can't say for sure, I bet you the person who wanted us to watch this would also point out 
well, no, the satire is building up to the racism. That's the part where it gets completely unmasked. Right. There's a line there. Yeah. yeah, but like obviously the vending drugs, the cops are keeping you here. Like there's a sort of institutionalized like distraction slash entertainment motif. It's just that those things didn't feel brought out in the same way in like say the Hunger Games or some other right. dystopia where those elements are more clearly underlined it's much more like a punk song that just says fuck the cops but it doesn't right. explain that right. in detail <laughs> exactly yeah. exactly and that's, that's a lot of punk songs too <laughs> yeah punk, and i love a good punk song and that's where i again it's like the lobster conundrum right where it's like dave for instance hates the lobster because he thinks the world is like well you just set it up this way so why do i give a shit i liked the metaphor enough to care about that movie I think, and that's well, you know, because every movie world is fake, fake setup. So it's like to, you either buy into that one or you don't. Well, to me, it's like when the premise has unique observations built into it. You know what I mean? Like I'm willing to, I'm willing to go with the weird offers more. You accept the premise for the sake of the things that the premise will derive. Correct. And for me, the lobster was on that line, and I went with it. For me, this movie is not enough. You know, but again, yeah. that's asking a lot out of the, you know. Out of this no, movie. No, it's interesting to ask Out of that 1986 question. as well. Right. Like, I think of, like, Batman. You know, like, this oh, is sure. all so silly. Who does all, all the time? Oh, boy. All the time. And and then I think about, like, Birdman, you know, and, like, how that's a commentary on right. kind of, like, what we're talking about. You know, like, the idea of, like, well, are you starting... Like, a, a true fan takes it really seriously. But it's also, like... But the whole point of this was designed to be a silly, nonsense camp, right? So now we're taking that seriously. What should I be... Should I... Are we all fine with this? This is all fine? You know, like, these are the questions one might ask when they're looking at, right. you know, some of the premises that we're like supposed to take serious now, like the Joker, the very concept yep. of the Joker. That's right. Uh, that's, that's one that I think uh, is the same kind of suggestion or like, I think that the line that you're drawing, which, you know, I'm, I'm fairly agree with, uh, you know, just that idea of like, you kind of have to petition to the audience. You want, you want this crazy idea, but how laughable is it? And also when the film talks about how laughable is it, does that air into the side of like, now you're making fun of the fandom for liking your fucking film? Like that's, fun. that's, interesting. that's weird. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I didn't um, feel like it was condescending in any way. Uh, no. I don't know. I mean, I also give it credit for trying to be something, you know what I mean? Like not every film, yeah. like this guy you know, and he's got he works, so who am I to criticize him? But this guy's made a lot of like sequels to stuff or like sort of knockoff versions of things mm -hmm. that are not trying to be something. I think it's interesting that he made so much out of this little film, right? Like a scant yeah. 10 years later, right. he's making Leprechaun 4 in space. Ooh, yeah, see, this is much more of a calling card than that. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I don't know. <laughs> well, it is in space. It is in space. You love space, in Michael. Space, no one can hear you wish. Is that his thing? He does wishes? <laughs> he does want his gold? I think so. Have his you never seen gold. a leprechaun? I've never seen any of the leprechauns. No. No, no leprechauns? No. I know there's yeah. a leprechaun in the hood one. I've heard that. There is. Yeah. There is. Yeah. Yeah. You are you, you are very correct about the Leprechaun franchise. That was now that's a world I'm ready to get on board with. Yeah. yeah. I can take yeah. that seriously. Dude, the Joker. The Joker is so hard to take seriously for me. And the fact that we've started yeah. taking him more and more seriously. Like, you know, Joaquin's Joker is as seriously as you can take that character. But he's still a clown. 
It's just he's funny. still a clown, right? It's the setup, and I think it like if Heath Ledger wasn't so fucking good <laughs> as a right. as a performance then and that a villain one would have missed. in that in Dark Knight. I don't know if we'd be here. I don't you know? know if we would have the Joaquin Joker, right? Uh, yeah, I, he yeah. convinced us that the Joker can be serious. Yeah, yeah, and like because it was just such a cultural touchstone, and that's an interesting aspect of fandom for me. Is that like if you do kind of not take it seriously, that is kind of an affront to the like to the fandom itself. Now that is canon. It is canon to be like, no, Part the Joker of, is yeah. dead serious. And they're right. I mean, like the killing joke and all these comics right. that have been Part of the joy like, is, that is a great work of art. We as a group have all agreed that this silly thing we like is important. So you have to act like it's important too. Right. Don't, it has, yeah, it has a sacredness yeah. as a as an yeah. archetype. Uh, Which is interesting because that's kind of the setup of all these Ozploitation films, right? Or some of them, uh, especially this one in Wake and Fright, where it's like, just love it if you're here. You know what? What the fuck is? Don't what else shit is on our do? enjoyment yeah. parade. Have a we beer. We enjoy this drive-in. Yeah. Um, and I think that there's a toxicity that comes along with just because you have a criticism of something doesn't mean that, that you, you don't appreciate it or have fun with it. You don't. You can't appreciate, it. or even if you don't appreciate it, uh, you don't have to be there. Also, I mean that's the case of this movie, but uh, yeah. I guess that's why I won't be going to Comic-Con this year. <laughs> well, it's interesting because he escapes. He gets what he wants. He gets out. I'm Now I'm wondering symbolically what does that mean? Like, yeah, what is he escaping from to what? That's, I guess to Adam's point. That's my like, problem. What, yes. What's the symbolism there? What is he? What is? Why is it better to be outside? We haven't really right. set that up. And I feel like the film can jump at any time and just say, well, I don't know. It's just a fucking, <laughs> that's right. It's just a fucking, it's, it's dead, a, it's dead end driving. He bro. got out. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know what to tell yeah, you. And they're not wrong about that. That's like, you know, it's kind of like Carpenter talking about the thing. Everyone's like, you did this amazing, amazing treatise on paranoia and, and like cult and character archetypes and how people deal with this kind of trauma. And you do this, you do this. What's the answer? What does who's, it mean? Who's yeah. the thing? And what does it mean? And he's just like, I don't fucking know. I just play PS4, man. It's a <laughs> monster know? movie. Like, ah! What do you want? Yeah. <laughs> ah, damn you, Carpenter. Yeah. Well, damn I, you, I, Carpenter. Yeah. Damn you, Carpenter. I agree. And uh, an interesting place to leave it. <laughs> Yeah, it's a weird weird way we pivoted. Otherwise, but, you know, hey, Abe will talk about the thing for another four hours. You know, it's... It's one of the best. Yeah. Here's the thing about yeah. the thing. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That uh, dog. But yeah, let's uh, let's th- let's give a, another shout out to James McLeod. Thank you, James. For the Pick Woo! the Flick tier. You heard it. Uh, we might be shutting down the Pick the Flick tier, pick the flick tier soon. Just, just for temporarily, because it's only exploitation um, films, and we're we feel like no, the no, audience no. wants more variety. It's 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 as we're doing we're we're uh, entering a new phase of the movie. Mike's going on a, a honeymoon. A lot of big happenings in the Small Beans community mm. that we're just like, you know what? We'll probably put a little hold on that for a few months, and then we'll be back in action. Uh, you know, we'll we'll give you some light news as we won't make a post about it, but just keep listening here. And you'll when you start hearing, uh, we'll, we'll we'll announce again when it opens up. So, okay, I think that's a good way to do it. Agreed. Do we have what any previews? Anything coming up on the schedule you want to shout out? Oh yeah, 
so this comes out Friday the 2nd, January or uh, January the 2nd, uh, 2024. So we got right up on deck is one-upsmanship on Alan Wake 2. Ooh, that's a good one. Oh, woof. Uh, yeah. We're going to have an Anderson's uh, continuation, but we're moving on to the Paul Thomas Anderson movie, The Master. Mm. Uh, we have the triumphant return of Director Peace Theater. I believe we're going to be talking about Saltburn oh, yeah, and or Con Air oh, yeah. coming up. Oh, yeah. Uh, and some more uh, Escape from the Multicurse after that. Uh, and that's, you know, that's how it goes, that's man. That's pretty good. That's the, that's the beans. beans. Also, apparently, Gravedigger's back on February 3rd at Angel Stadium. So if anybody's okay. like, holy right. shit. Get a Google search for Gravedigger. February 3rd, Monster Jam. In Angel Stadium. February 3rd. That's, okay, so yeah, you have like a month from when you're listening to this, if you listen to this day one. Yeah. So you got time. Well, no, not you have like a, like a minute, <laughs> right? Like, like, it's like February 3rd. Yeah, so you got to get over there and see Gravedigger. Because <laughs> you're, you're in real trouble. <laughs> you're in real trouble if you don't, if you don't get over there. <laughs> you have 24 hours. No, I've got my weekend plan. podcast. He's plugging it on podcast. <laughs> Hey man, I know where I know who pays for my jobs. <laughs> <laughs> I know who butters my bread. It's Gravedigger. <laughs>